It's like here's here's my box. We're gonna we're gonna <laughs> unpack it. All right. So yeah, uh, let's do this while the antihistamines are working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the the headmaster is about to return. Autobots, transform and roll out. Well, hey there, folks. Welcome back for another thrilling episode of Two Mikes, Two Furious Animated Transformers. We are the podcast that talks about Transformers animated from two different perspectives. My name is Mike Seibert. I have never watched TFA before this project, but rather than stumbling around in the dark by myself, I am not unguided. Uh, with me on this journey is the Spark Soul brother. It is uh, my uh, my best good buddy. It's uh, author Michael Andrews. Hey, how's it going, Mike? I'm doing all right. About yourself? Doing good. Good. Uh, hanging in there. Ready to talk some Transformers. Pumped. Hell yeah. I, I appreciate the enthusiasm. <laughs> so, uh, and I, I have a hot take right out the gate. Um, we, we talked a lot about the human supervillain Henry Masterson, the, the headmaster. Um, and that uh, is probably my least favorite human supervillain of what i've seen of tfa so far and i would probably say that headmaster is probably my least favorite episode of tfa so far so when i saw the viewing order and saw that this episode was the return of the headmaster i um uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you, buddy. I was not looking forward to it, but um, I we will unpack it like a treasure chest as we go. But my hottest take right up top, I actually like this episode quite a bit. It's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, good. Well, I'll I'll put away my aloe vera then. That wasn't that too much of a burn. <laughs> I can handle that. <laughs> it's like I lotioned and oiled for nothing. <laughs> lotioning and oiling, oiling and lotioning, just preparing for the uh, uh, nuclear sick burn. But yeah, no, th this was a this was a fun one. So we uh, we are talking about Transformers animated season two, episode two, overall episode eighteen, the return of the headmaster, which. I, I gotta say has a real rise of Skywalker type of vibe to it because it's the return of the headmaster. Like, uh, you know, folks can't see it, but like in the meeting session I set up for our recording, I just called it return of headmaster. Cause that's why I thought the title of the episode was uh, kind of like that. Uh, the rise of Skywalker, which I always call the rise of the Skywalker or rise <laughs> right. of the Skywalker. Um, it's a, it's it's a few too many thes. It's it's a real the Transformers the movie situation there. But yeah, it's almost like the uh, drop the the but in reverse. They're like putting a couple extra thes if you got them. Yeah, yeah. You could just called it Return of Headmaster and and been uh been just fine. Uh, so this episode came out on uh, April twenty sixth, two thousand eight, which of note is two weeks after. Uh, the elite guard came out so i back in 2008 for season two they must have been on the same schedule as we are putting episodes out every two weeks i don't know if that's a trend that 
continues. But I did think it was kind of interesting that you have uh, the season two season premiere two weeks after the season one finale. And then the mm-hmm. next episode of that is two weeks later. So I'll, I'll be kind of interested to see if that um, uh, that is a pattern that continues uh this episode was written by uh michael ryan who we may remember from a fan favorite i think i think from uh the uh, michael andrews uncontrollable birthday live stream we had said that i think it was our favorite episode of season one the classic home is where the spark is and uh, and of course um headmaster uh so kind of uh, yeah. uh picking up with that that thread there kind of a rose and a thorn there uh for writing for michael ryan very much so but i i would also say that again based on the, kind of the episode the events of this episode it's kind of a make good in a way because uh again without getting too far ahead i think this implementation of the headmaster character and the headmaster gimmick i found to be uh, way more effective than it than it was the first time um yeah but there there's again as as always a bunch to unpack there but i am i realized i i kind of got in my enthusiasm i got a little too far uh, ahead of myself uh before we kind of dive right in uh, to the episode proper uh something we had run out of time on in our uh previous episode you know the 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 uh, one two punch of the zero episode and episode one uh returning for for season two uh we wanted to do a little bit of toy talk it's yeah. uh, and i feel like i should make some kind of like you know catchy real uh uh radio ghost of the iconic moment uh iconic joement type of thing with like big radio toy talk toy talk it's toy talk yes there's something there perfect i i think we did it don't use that god don't use that no notes no notes But I uh, recently had the opportunity to get my hands on the uh, brand new Transformers Generations Legacy United Animated Universe Optimus Prime, and I, I wanted to spend a I sp- wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about that guy. Let me uh, let me go grab the box that I threw over my shoulder a second ago here. So yeah, so it, it is uh, uh, Transformers Generations Legacy United Animated Universe Optimus Prime, and th- this was a figure that we've talked about in drips and drabs over our first season, and it was something that that uh, we were really kind of looking forward to. Uh, Michael Andrews, you have the animated Prowl figure, right? Yeah. Yes. You know, so Prowl came out long before the other two. Uh, Bumblebee is out. I don't. I don't have him myself, but I am looking to get him. I'm probably going to wait to see if he goes on sale or something because I. I already have an animated bee, so I'm not in a rush to get another one. Uh, right yet, but he he looks like a really fun figure, especially in the pics that I've seen where he's uh, uh, compared to Optimus and Prowl. I think that that's a pretty decent trio 
of figures that they've they've done in Legacy. But I, I guess I have to answer a couple few questions uh, about this figure. Uh, I'm not going to do like a full on review, but like I guess up top he rules. He's a he is a a really fun figure um, at the Voyager scale. He's got some good height and good heft. Um, I posted some pictures on my Twitter on the Mike Cybert Radio Twitter where I put him next to uh, Legacy Tarn uh, because he he's a uh, Voyager class figure also same size class but. Tarn's got a few more parts and engineering to him, whereas Optimus is all chest. It's and it takes the uh, stylization that Legacy has been doing really well. Like it kind of takes like the animated aesthetic and kind of runs it through the uh, Generations Legacy kaleidoscope and makes for a figure that kind of fits in both worlds like he he can he can hang out with my other current generations legacy legacy united uh legacy forever what, what whatever the hell they're calling it um evolution that was the one i was looking for legacy evolution um he fits in with all those figures but also he's he's a pretty good representative of animated optimus so it's like you know he's got um, he's got the stampy feet. He's got the uh, the wheels on his heels. It's not quite wheels on heels. I wish the the tires on his legs were a little bit lower, um, but that's not necessarily a complaint. It's just kind of like an observation. But the thing that that I really like about handling him, because I mean, again, he's got like all kinds of different articulation. But like every time I move him, he feels like he wants to transform. So it's like, you know, I, I, I swivel his waist and like his chest pops up a little bit. Same with me. Yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I, I turn his uh, hands and arms and wrists and like his forearm like pops open to like, you know, uh, you know, stuff his hands in there. And cool. I, I like that. That's not a criticism because like it reminds me so many contemporary Transformers are um, action figures. Like that's what I love about. Uh, the the current sideswipe so much it's like I don't even like sideswipe as a character but I love that toy because it's a great action figure that turns into a car cleanly and easily uh, whereas some of the the uh, other transformers are a little more uh, fiddly I, I'm looking at you uh, 86 Starscream over there that that, that jet mode is a little a little fiddly for uh, uh, Null my... fired well and and uh, th- this could be a different bit of legislation for a different day you know we, we talk about crimes against the fandom sometimes um transformation is not the most important aspect of a transformers figure for me like um because i collect gi joes and star wars and a bunch of other stuff i just want it to be a good action figure first and foremost like one of my big disappointments is that um uh, that red line, the the R.E.D. non-transforming Transformers thing, because I was like, cool, give me that. Give me like the best representation of what that character is supposed to look like without having to figure out how to integrate the engineering to get them to transform. Turns out, I mean, like some of the figures are kind of fun, but overall kind of like a kind of a big miss. 
I would have liked something closer to like the either the G.I. Joe classified series or Marvel Legends aesthetic. They're they're too basic. Very, um, you know, just uh, not a lot of detail, not a lot of yeah. paint apps. Yeah, if uh, I can interrupt that, I, they they kind of have like a like a shampoo bottle vibe to me, or like when you see those like Transformers shampoos for kids, like they're yeah. you know bubble bath or something. Like uh, I, every time I go to look at one, I think, oh, I'm going to get one. I really cool action figure of a Transformer, and then I go see one in person. I'm like, uh, no. I I have the 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 same gripe with the Super Seven Ultimates collection like i just recently like a figure i had pre-ordered two years ago and forgot about it they did a uh, sound wave and um oh. and it's aggressively disappointing because it it's very shampoo bottle and and it's funny because i i pre-ordered that figure thinking like okay well this is going to be my stand-in for like uh not fans toys third party soundwave that everybody was spending like 300 bucks for at the time i'm like oh i'll spend 75 for this and it aesthetically fits in the same position it does not that figure sucks Um, very disappointed. Unfortunately, I'm probably going to sell it, but, um, uh, but anyway, back to, back to a figure I actually do like, um, talking, <laughs> talking about Optimus Prime and we had spent so much time talking about what a ideal Optimus Prime animated Optimus Prime figure would be for me. And, um, uh, you know, we got like a lot of great listener feedback. We talked about like kit bashing. It's like, you know, you take the ax from this guy and you put it with this guy and you know i talked about my adventures at Sidefest, where it's like oh man i picked up and put down this guy and and it was like this whole journey uh that this whole uh uh misadventure in uh the search for an ideal animated optimus whereas all i had to do was just wait a couple months and then he shows up at my door from amazon.com <laughs> um and before i get a a further i do want to give a i i gotta give a uh, huge shout outs on uh twitter to uh, gij uh they're at 80s toy boy and basically what their account does is they're always pumping out uh heads up uh links and ads like oh this is on sale on pulse and you know a lot of like sales and back in stock type of stuff and uh they've been anytime animated optimus comes up they've uh uh, they posted about it so i was able to jump on that and get it from amazon four months before my uh, pre-order from pulse is to be fulfilled in fact i think i still have my pre-order on pulse and it says it's going to ship in like april so it's and it's like whereas i got i got mine early january because uh amazon happens to have it in stock and i think our buddy matthew barbario took advantage of the same thing um so uh uh, shout out to gij if you if you're you know looking for the heads up on on toys and deals and sales and stuff like that uh give them a follow because uh, uh their account is super cool and i have gotten the heads up on all kinds of like sales and things like that because i follow them including grabbing animated optimus from uh from amazon but and and it's really a breath of fresh air when a twitter account uh puts out useful content that can really help you (laughs) absolutely absolutely and this this animated optimus without exaggeration now granted i haven't necessarily owned and handled the other ones you know it's you know we we talk so many about the different types of animated optimus figures but like this is the figure I was waiting for. 
um because like Ooh. he he's he's big he's chunky he uh you know kind of does everything you want him to but i know if you're listening to this you're already starting to be like ultra magnus and kind of like tap the side of your head like okay get to what we really want to hear about the thing that everybody wants to hear about is how is the axe and i am here to tell you that again i am glad i waited because this axe that this figure comes with is everything i want it to be it's um it's awesome big it's huge the uh the blade is in blue uh clear blue plastic where they they've painted over it it looks great it's it's funny when action figures get the opportunity to surprise you sometimes because like i've seen a lot of stock photos of of the figure and sometimes he's holding a shorter handle sometimes he's holding a a longer handle um and i just assumed because of contemporary toy engineering that it was just going to be a separate piece like like a separate screw on thing like you know you snap it on snap it off no my friends and i didn't realize this until i opened it so it's like you know you you snip out all of like the the uh, the the plastic ties and you find the the weapon stored like down in the bottom and i see that the axe is short and I see that there's no handle for it. I was like, oh, no, did I not get a handle? Does this not have a handle? I have a little bit of a panic. I was just like, oh, no, is this figure going to not do what I want it to do? Uh, because I've I've talked a lot about some iconic axe moments, and a lot of them involve extending the the handle like you know when when optimus pole vaults or or um uh, uses it in any other kind of way like that but then i'm i'm fiddling with it in my hand and i feel that it's got a little bit of uh give to it and i give it a little bit of a tug and it's not moving and I'm like, okay, what is what is happening here? I give it a little bit of a firmer tug. Uh, the handle fully extends. So the handle of the axe is uh, uh, goes fully up into the axe to where it basically doubles in length to where he can Whoa. hold it in both hands. So the way I've I've got him uh, posed on my desk at work, it's like he's he's holding it, holding the axe high above his head to come down and do a uh, downswing. The other thing that is cool about the axe is on the back of it, there is a port for a blast effect. Um, so you can so you can do the anime axe action to it as well. Phenomenal. I really, awesome. really like it. It's it's a fun toy. He's got like ankle rockers and you know uh, thigh swivels and just about every amount of like modern posability that you need from a contemporary action figure. Unfortunately, because he's so buff. It some posing can be difficult because like his arms and shoulders get in his own way, just kind of like how the uh, the rock can't walk through doors because he's so buff and is is <laughs> yeah. like like in like Fast and Furious Six, like he has like this like bulletproof vest on that 
literally makes his arms like hunch over like kind of like lurch frankenstein type of thing and there's a couple of times where he has to like twist to get through doors because like he can't he can't clear it with the way his arms sit <laughs> very very silly so optimus has some of those problems as well but that's um I think that's a fair trade for the amount of posability and the bulk that you get. Um, he's fun to transform. He's intuitive to uh, convert into truck mode. And I like that it's not specifically a traditional Optimus Prime transformation. Also, you know, one of the, the criticisms that we find with other transformers contemporary transformers figure like you know i talked about like you know the 86 starscream or even like studio series 86 hot rod uh one of the things that really gets folks kind of polarized in the toy collecting community is fake parts uh you know like fake chests uh like starscream has like a like a you know he's he's got like two cockpits one for for his uh, robot oh, mode sure. and one for his so uh collectors seem to hate that it doesn't bother me as much but what i can tell you is that animated optimus has no fake parts so like his chest is the front of the truck oh he, um, he's real and he's spectacular if you will he is real and he is spectacular yeah. and michael andrews i i think i remember you were you were interested in pursuing this uh uh figure yourself so that there, there's um so i don't want to necessarily spoil all of it but i will tell you that there was a detail that i missed until I actually transformed it myself. Um, oh. When you get him in hand and you start transforming him, take a look inside the front of the chest and uh, and report back after after you kind of have uh, have that experience oh, there damn. because because it, it I I I found myself uh, incredibly surprised by some of the stuff that this this figure has and figure does so it's it's a huge recommend for me um, if you're interested in having a new animated Optimus this definitely does it justice and I feel like you know we talked about this in our previous episodes I feel like this was made for me. Like it's it it's a a new Optimus with contemporary styling. Like even like the uh, the uh, deluxe Bumblebee that my buddy Anthony sent me as a gift. It it still kind of stands apart from the other stuff in my collection because it it's definitely of a different time, and it's from a time that I wasn't collecting Transformers. Whereas this Optimus, I I've been collecting transformers figures for the last four years now and uh you know kind of like starting with studio series 86 and kind of going through mainline in there so i have a pretty good handle on that aesthetic for my collection and like i said he fits right in so he's a oh yeah he, he's a terrific figure um well, you certainly know how to tantalize me because uh, now I need to know what that hidden detail is. And actually, I was just looking at pictures of this figure yesterday from someone on on Twitter. And, uh, you know, the the robot mode is cool and everything, but it's but at the end of the day, it's kind of an optimist, which I, I don't have a lot of optimists, uh, optimist eye in my collection. Uh -huh. um, but someone had a picture of it in uh, vehicle mode, which I hadn't seen a ton of stills of. Uh, and it's sort of like that globular snow globe cab sitting on it. Like that really spoke to me. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. this is kind of a cool. This isn't just like a, you know, a truck at the end of the day. This is like something sort of alien and different. It's getting that, uh, you know, that that aesthetic from animated a little more into the vehicle mode. 
So that got me excited. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because like the the thing that we've talked about, anytime we've talked about animated toys is, you know, they're a feat of engineering of a feat of engineering in that like it emulates the both modes brilliantly. And I like here in Legacy United that that this new take on Optimus keeps that spirit like it has like that this weird truck with these weird pr- proportions and then the robot is still like in these weird exaggerated proportions but still looks like a really cool robot toy it he's he's a great toy he's a really great toy yeah and that's interesting because i feel like the uh the animated prowl legacy figure um you know, it kind of is a motorcycle, like as we would see a motorcycle on the road. I mean, there is something a little bit maybe yeah. futuristic or stylized about it, but for the most part, and I wonder if at some point they were like, hey, I think what people like about animated is this sort of animated style. So maybe mm-hmm. maybe they kind of engineered the other two a little bit differently. And I wonder if that's why there was such a span in release where it's like, well, people seem to be liking Prowl, but not like going nuts for him. And I think that's kind of the consensus. It's like kind of like the it's a classic Mike Seibert shrug. It's fine. That 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 kind of thing. Yeah. Um, whereas I think, again, I, neither of us have him in hand yet. But like uh, one of the things that I've heard really complimentary about that new Bumblebee figure is how well it it takes on the vehicle mode. Like I, I know, I know you love a little car, Michael Andrews, oh, but like, but that specific little car is also like has different proportions than Bumblebee himself does. Like it, it's you know, it's it's a it's a chubby Bumblebee car, where whereas Bumblebee himself in this iteration is kind of like you know, uh, kind of lithe and svelte and not uh, decidedly not chubby like like his vehicle mode. Right, is. right. So it's interesting. Um, I like my cars rotund in both Transformer <laughs> and in the real world. So bring it on. <laughs> Curvaceous. Yes. Uh, one last thing about Optimus, and I, I, um, I, I'm remiss that I didn't mention this earlier. I should have mentioned it uh, further up top. The, uh, the face sculpt is really good, and it, and it does uh, a good representation of interpreting what Optimus's face and head looks like an animated and again kind of running it through the contemporary filter but one thing that i think has folks a little bit polarized is that it doesn't have a face plate now i i could see folks being disappointed about that but as someone who has just gotten to know this iteration of optimus and really like him I like that he doesn't have a faceplate. I appreciate that he doesn't have a faceplate because I don't remember which episode I said it in, but it wasn't it wasn't that long ago where I was like, you know, the few times that Optimus actually puts on his battle mask and animated that I've seen so far, he almost looks kind of weird. Like it looks more weird for him to have the battle mask on yeah. than because we spend so much time with him where he's got a face and a mouth and it's not the traditional uh, faceplate. And I think that's what endeared me to this iteration of the character. It's like, you know, this this is this is different. 
and it kind of takes like what was established in the live action movie and push it further it's like what if he almost never has a faceplate you know th- that kind of thing to where it's um yeah it's just it's just kind of like a different vibe and feel but like for this brand new tfa fan who feels like this figure was made for them I feel like this figure was made for me. I I love that he doesn't have a faceplate, and I love that unlike say like the the uh, larger scale Voyager, um, I don't remember which one. Maybe it's the Japanese one. Um, Springer has has posted about it a couple times, but there's like one of the figures that has like. I don't know if it's a removable faceplate or like if it's a gimmick in the mm. head, but it looks it it looks a little janky. With with I like that the uh, clean lines of this figure not having the faceplate that they just rather than like it being like a removable piece or whatever and you would have like peg holes or tabs or whatever they're just like nah nah that this Optimus doesn't have that and it makes mm-hmm. him stand out like if you put him next to like say like Earthrise Optimus on your shelf you could see where they're like echoes of the same guy, but also very different. Yeah. I've always taken the faceplate to be even in, in show in universe, sort of like a, like a personality choice. Right. And so for us watching the show, or at least for me watching the show, like, you know, it, 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 it's sort of like a personality tick of him that he wants it open. He wants people to see his mouth move. He wants his beard shaven, you know, like he yeah. wants to be clean faced. Um, I, I just think that's uh, something that's inherent to the, animated optimus and I'm, I'm glad that they stuck with that for the toy that's really cool so yeah so currently that figure is a little tougher to find um he is sold out on pulse um but i would imagine come april uh they'll probably have a magic new al- allocation of him so uh you know in our next episode we'll uh we'll, we'll have some more uh toy talk as well but for now i think it's time to jump right in i think we've we've kind of put it off long enough it is time for the headmaster to return <laughs> oh never thought we'd say those words uh I, yeah i mean are we we're getting a second headmaster episode what the hell <laughs> and, and like so soon too that that's yeah. the other thing it's like um i i don't have the count of how further away it was but i mean it can't be any more than like a half dozen episodes right yeah yeah right i i was i was wondering too and like yeah so early on uh i've been thinking about why why now why this episode here and i guess it is kind of a lighter hearted episode and they typically do that before you know something heavy comes along mm-hmm. um so i can see that placement and and i think you know as we'll see the the placement with sentinel did something good for this that you know the 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 bulkhead part of it couldn't match it was, I guess it was disturbing when it was happening to Bulkhead. It's funny when it's happening to Sentinel. You know what? I think you cracked the code on why I like this versus why I didn't like. Uh, because, yeah, th- this um, this feels like comeuppance for Sentinel. Like, like well-earned comeuppance because this guy sucks. Like, right. I, I, I mean, I, I... One of these days, I want to get into the psychology of why Michael Andrews likes such an aggressively, <laughs> intentionally unlikable character. Yeah, like, we should like get a, into that. Like, again, th- this this is not a 
uh, why is Prowl a dick so he can be not a dick later type of thing and enjoying that arc. Because, I mean, yeah, th- this Sentinel guy, good Lord. So anyway, he, he gets what's coming to him. And I uh, right. and that kind of uh, and, and it kind of makes me happier in a way or or makes it more delightful for me that it comes at the hands of the character that sucks worse than he does. It's like, is there a bigger head in transformers that needs to get taken down a notch? Oh my gosh. I, I, I think you nailed it. Um, yeah. So we, uh, we begin at the freshly restored question mark, uh, uh, tower. And my first question right off the bat is, and again, I I feel like that's going to be a pattern this season. Um, how much time has passed? I mean that that should almost have like a segment jingle. Is it as a tick 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 tick? How much time has passed? That kind of thing. Because like when we when we watched the Elite Guard episode, again it was immediately after the events of Megatron Rising, and it feels like in spirit that the events of the return of the headmaster are kind of like right after the elite guard, but the new construction of some tower kind of makes that kind of weirdly incongruous. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't quite sure uh, when this was, but you're right. It's all rebuilt. I, you know, I'll take it one step further. I I sort of had this like uh, dissidence between like where Sari lived. Like like for me, I didn't I didn't really realize they were living in Sumdak Tower until like they're clearly living in Sumdak Tower. Like I guess I kind of knew it on some level, but it wasn't triggering until this episode that like oh yeah, if someone's taking over the company, she's gonna get booted out, and that's what we see right at the start of this episode. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're right. And and that kind of reminds me of like all of the times that we've seen uh Sari's bedroom before. You know, like uh you know, in the Soundwave episode where like Soundwave like comes up to the the window and stuff and it's like wait a damn minute, was that at Sumdak Tower the whole time? I I have yes. I have questions. I have to go back and rewatch some episodes because that, that, that there's a thing or two that doesn't quite add up because I thought I remember seeing like some trees there or something like that. But but anyway, that that's that's neither here nor there. Um, but it's unless unless she just has the same bedroom in multiple places because like this is literally the same bedroom we've seen before. Yeah. Yeah, if if that were the case, this isn't uh, as tragic of a move, right? She can just go live in one of her other ones. But but if this is her one and only that was we're forced to believe, uh, yeah. it's it's kind of a bummer. It is. I mean, it's sad. We're seeing her packing up, and then and then that bitch Porter C. Powell shows up to salt the wound. Holy uh, smokes, this uh, guy! Yeah, just 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 gets off on like hurting people. Right. Like he just loves delivering bad news. It seems to be his lot in life. Uh, and I, I wrote down that he kind of reversed Jerry Maguire's hurt. Right. Like uh, she kind of does like the Jerry Maguire, like tries to take her secretary with. And then he's like, ah, those, you know, Tudorbot and Sparkplug are right. some deck properties uh, and you're not. So beat it again. It, it's the, the perspective that sorry, some is an eight year old child. And this Porter C. Powell guy is like, yeah, literally go on the streets. It's like you can't live here anymore. And again, there there is a 
bit of there is a bit of bending reality because I don't think in any non-cartoon reality that I again maybe maybe I'm just not um in tune. Oh, maybe you believe in the good in people, I guess. I well, know. no, I was I was going to say, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm too coked up on my own privilege and don't understand how society actually works. But I I refuse to believe that uh, you could literally just kick a child out of the home and onto the streets. It's like, get out of here, leave. Go. Uh, I don't care where you live as long as it's not here. Um, and the phone lines are lighting up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll hear about that. Yeah, exactly. But like, but again, it it's when you look at it through the lens of it being a kid show, and sorry, being kind of the the POV character for the kids. I mean, or or for the target audience, it does kind of change the perspective a little bit and makes it a little less serious. I think what i've recently realized is that i think sometimes i take these episodes and situations too literally and too seriously to where i'm like oh my god that this child is in actual peril you know like like from like a societal standpoint like and it just makes me think about like you know systemic problems with our society you know angst that i don't necessarily need to be bringing to a a cartoon network show from 2008 that was meant for children to sell toys that kind of well and i i do think that this comes up uh a few times in this episode where moments are played for laps laughs but if you if you track back a little bit they're they're actually pretty tragic things happening Mm -hmm. Uh, i I made some notes here as we go forward but this is definitely one of them uh when, when you look at this scene like like yeah getting kicked out um you can't even take your only two friends in the entire world with you i mean it it was played sort of lightly and quickly uh maybe not to scare kids but like at the same time it's like that's that's really cruel it's like a it's a really cruel hand that that porter c powell is doing to sorry at this moment now and it does underscore in broad strokes very quickly that he is not a good dude so i i think it it does that storytelling shorthand effectively and quickly so so i will i I will definitely give it that but it's it's interesting porter c powell's reasoning for kicking sorry out i think it's it's kind of like you know multiple birds with uh fewer stones but here here he is ladies and gentlemen It, it is the uh the episode namesake it is the return of the headmaster uh henry yeah. masterson is uh is, is just here in and that this living space is now to be repurposed for uh lab space in in the biggest slap in the face of all time sorry's being replaced by henry masterson <laughs> i think even sorry is kind of breaking the fourth wall here like this guy do you think people want this guy <laughs> right yeah and right away he appears on screen and i'm i'm cringe well yeah and and he just he just comes out of the gate with the gamer speak you know talking about major cribbage it's i i don't i don't know if uh actual mileage may vary but he masterson seems 
disproportionately interested in this child's bedroom. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> and it's interesting as as the episode progresses, he doesn't really change the decor at all. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. And at a time where I've I I I've stuck my neck out um let me stick my neck out uh, a a little a little further here just to own some confusion. Um I don't I don't know if or what this episode is trying to say with the Masterson character. Like you see him being again enthusiastic about uh, being in the ha- having possession of this little girl's bedroom, but then also you have this moment later in the episode with uh, um, with Fanzone where it's like you know he he's doing a voice and and Fanzone calls him ma'am, but he also kind of like. Masterson kind of like rejects that. So I don't I don't know if in a 2008 kind of way we're we're trying to uh, say something clumsily about uh, gender confusion or or uh, being gender fluid or something like that. I don't I don't really know. And I'm not informed enough to really stick my neck out there. But I know um through the 2024 lens made me a little uncomfortable, but then again, I bring, I bring adult 2024 sensibilities to things. So, um, yeah, you know, as one does, as we're supposed to do, I think quite so, you know, sometimes a potato is just a potato or something. Sure. So, um, well, the point is he's back, uh, but you know, where he's here, let's deal with it. Uh, and, uh, we have to just go on. Yep. So we move to uh, Town Square. Thankfully, we're panning away from Headmaster here. We're going to Town Square, and someone has made the grave mistake of letting Sentinel have a microphone. Oh, my uh, gosh. He, he does a very Sentinel thing and somehow insults everyone and everything. And I was rewatching this show, uh, this episode again, and I noticed like how funny and cringy it was but like sentinel starts the press conference by speaking very slowly and loudly to the humans uh they're they're really doing a good job of carrying through this like you know he's he's both disgusted by organics and thinks they're just one-celled organisms that can't even fathom his his brain power mm-hmm. well and and i think it also kind of shows his his bigotry as well you know that that that's a theme i've talked about already you know it's like i i think that sentinel is is more than a little racist i i think he's more than um a little bigoted xenophobic Uh, xenophobic absolutely you you beat me to it because like he speaks to the humans the way that americans talk to folks who english isn't their first language yeah you know as if like talking slowly and condescendingly somehow bridges a a language barrier you know it's like how uh like american tourists are it's like you know do you understand me you know that 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 kind of thing and i think that's an intentional choice like you know his his uh cadence 
of speech. Well, I thought it was played really well because it's definitely done in a way, uh, unlike some of other shows from that time, it's done in a way that like it's clearly making fun of Sentinel. Like Sentinel's clearly in the wrong in this situation. Yeah. And that's why it's fun. He's he's like he's like the Michael Scott, right? Like you're just mm-hmm. kind of everyone else is kind of rolling their eyes at him. He, you know, he doesn't know any better. And I think that's a really like kind of like progressive take for a show at this time uh, to, to, you know, not to make fun of that and not everybody else around him. Uh, agreed. Well, and and you you contrast that with the human's interaction with Optimus Prime. So it's like, you know, Optimus is standing next to Sentinel, you know, trying to help, but also trying not to be in the way but also being kind of like still being the guy that that has that has these relationships with the humans so it's like when when fanzone looks at him and and optimus just kind of like gives this indifferent shrug like i don't right. know man well and to it's further like, the office reference he's like jim helpert at this point right he's like looking he's literally looking at the camera and shrugging right like, yes like we don't get this <laughs> i love it yeah no i i i really like that dynamic and it's interesting because we talked about in the last episode how like the Autobots reputation is a little bit tarnished, you know, after the return of the Decepticons and the and the climactic battle that that destroyed half the city. You know, it's like that 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 dynamic with Fanzone is pretty raw. And it's interesting that like I mean, obviously this press conference does no favors for human Autobot relations. But it it is also interesting, though, that like, you know, the mayor and fan zone still kind of have this thing with Optimus where it's like, is this guy for real? (laughs) Um, and, and, And we've all been in those kinds of social situations, too, you know, like you mix friend groups and stuff. And it's just like I'm like that that's your buddy really him and it's yeah. like yeah sorry he's my buddy i don't know he's I don't, here i don't know yeah, he's he's here exactly yeah not even my buddy but it's like yeah he's you know i i feel like he's as uh pushed upon us as uh, pushed upon me as he is pushed upon you so it is it is kind of a cool uh bonding moment uh between uh optimus prime and the humans i also want to note here it's a uh, it is the return of uh, Perez Hilton. The uh, the reporter bot uh, makes a a return to form yes. here, and and I like that. Like so, he must have healed. Like his his broken arm must have healed. So he's not his arm isn't in a sling anymore. But I I love the character design of this guy. Cause he's got like, like an old timey microphone for a hand and like his other hand is like an old timey type of camera. I don't know if I noticed those design touches the last time uh, we talked to him, but I, I really like how this character recurs and that his entire thing is just to be the obnoxious gotcha journalist, quote unquote journalist, um, that just like acts like the, the, the most obnoxious, provocative questions possible. Is it true that all Cybertronians have no regard for human life and view Earth as little more than a battleground for the never ending robot wars? Yeah, yeah. And you have to wonder, you know, it's clearly he's uh, because what we know about robots in this town, he's a piece of equipment owned by the, 
you know, the newspaper in question, right? But he's asking mm-hmm. these tough questions. So I wonder if the people are back at the newspaper, like, don't, don't ask that. Like, they're just like, oh, why? We got to get this guy fixed. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. It's like, you know, so the uh, the the news outlet that ReporterBot works for, they just want him to just like cover this this press conference. It's like, you know, just be there. the walking microphone. Yeah, just just you know, just get audio, just get video, get get pictures, you know, do your thing and uh um wow, th- this again, talk about 2024 sensibilities. This is this is getting like too real and uncomfortable for me it's like you know when the when the journalist takes it upon themselves to insert themselves into the narrative essentially going rogue and just saying like hey man i'm gonna ask all these questions because this is stuff that you know i mean you know my editor didn't ask me to ask these questions but i'm just i'm just gonna kind of go it on my own i i bet you that reporter bot soon is going to like have their own like um uh paywall type of type of show you know it's like you know real real patreon situation it's like you know support independent journalism and like you know don't uh you know don't don't give in to corporate media i i'm on the streets telling you the real real you know the truth of the truth and whatnot yeah, you know right. I, i'm telling the stories they're afraid to you know that kind of thing <laughs> he gets back to the station they're like ah, reporter bot get in my office right yeah now. <laughs> oh my gosh yeah, oh, real man. uncomfortable. That 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 is stuff that actually happens, and yeah. it's just like, well, I have a podcast. I I I am I am not going to tune in for a reporter's reporter bots uh, vaguely alt right podcast. No, thank you. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Well, yeah. The point, I guess, the whole point of this uh, this press conference, the again, a PR a puff piece goes bad. Uh, but but the point is, Sentinel needs to shake hands with the mayor and. <laughs> Clearly the mayor's organic. It's a very funny scene. Uh, you know, he doesn't, it's, it's a great point of tension too, because he doesn't want Optimus to have the gold moment, but he also doesn't want to touch the organic. And then, yep. so we end up with this like quick handshake and then quickly uh, Sentinel produces a disinfectant spray from somewhere and just goes to town on his hand. I thought it was very funny. It is funny. And, and again, it's so funny. I, I don't, I, I I don't know what I had for breakfast this morning, but it's just like my my uh, my uh, sensibilities are are tuned funny because it's like, could you imagine if you um shook hands with somebody who is different from you and your immediate response is to like you know uh, like do hand sanitizer or sp- uh, spray disinfectant on your hands or right. something like that super you know, insulting it, incredibly insulting and uh, and pretty bigoted as as well um although it was covid looking through that lens i'm like okay i get it yeah well it and and it's interesting though in, in this dynamic where uh sentinel is is kind of operating at two levels because like he sees the casual ease that optimus has you know talking to these folks like he's built rapport with them and sentinel becomes jealous and and he at one point tells optimus he's like you know almost like sneering through his teeth he's like don't ever presume you can speak for me optimus yeah. you know that that kind of thing and then proceeds to to insult the the human some more but also almost immediately he gets lost 
and and out of his depth where it's like hey optimus uh don't 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 you ever presume to speak to me oh wait what am i supposed to do next and right optimus just the too, worst just the worst just, literally the worst and again to optimus's credit he he tries to be as casual as possible because th- there's a version of this where optimus is more shitty about it you know it's like and you know could like figuratively and literally shove sentinel out of the way but instead he he tries to be respectful of sentinel's position not only as a member of the elite guard but also the right hand of the magnus and being a representative of the cybertronian delegation here you know with the mayor and captain fanzone and and whoever that other lady is um but but still it's it's um he, he's trying to be respectful of that and differential to that but still just kind of like trying to help things along the way yeah, it's it's endlessly fascinating too because when you have you know the other choice to send to this uh, press conference was Jazz, who is inclined to the human condition, uh, readily speak. He's he's literally the perfect PR guy yeah. to send, and they send they look at the two of them and they go Sentinel, right. Right. Well, yeah, I think yeah. what what would happen is if they sent jazz, it would just be like, you know, people be like throwing their underwear at the stage or something like that because <laughs> because he's too sexy. He's a Clooney, it, it, right? We don't want Yeah, him it's it, it's it's too distracting. It's too much. Can't handle it. Can't handle it. <laughs> it's like it's like, you know, I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are going to love it. <laughs> yeah. Truly, <laughs> truly. So across town, we have uh Sari moving into Autobot HQ. Um, I, I thought this was an interesting scene because last season, uh, if this was her choice, this would have been like her dream come true, right? Like yeah. she literally a sleepover with friends, you know, indefinitely, like this would have been the prime time, but now it's a somber affair. Now she's unpacking, uh, even the things that she used to love, even the things that bulkhead and bumblebee got ready for her, um, uh, aren't working. She's just not impressed by them. But it's another really funny scene. This is another moment where this is like a really tragic scene, but it was actually played very lightly. And it, uh, I did get a laugh out of it because I yeah. love that they set up this like loud, obnoxious rock music for her, which yeah. season one, sorry, would have loved. But yep. this is like not what she wants to do. So she's like, I'm just going to go to my room. And then it's like an instant cut to like the same exact setup in her room <laughs> blasting this rock music. The, the thing that I wonder about that is because, like, I mean, I, I don't know the the geographical configuration of Autobot HQ there in the old factory, but I I wonder if it's just a, a shared wall, like it's just like around the corner and it's just like <laughs> Sari's room is a reflection of the rumpus room or whatever, because it feels like it's it's the same TV and the same... Uh, uh, speaker setup and the same like obnoxious lights. I mean, you want to talk about uh, lights and sirens, like, you know, ju- just the combination of the Autobot rumpus room and Sari's new bedroom that that puts up the lights and sirens score a uh, uh, full point <laughs> as far as yeah. I know. And and I also uh, uh, like that it touches back on. Uh, and again, this is just for uh, the metalheads in the audience or something like that. Canonically, it's canon. Sorry, likes heavy music. 
and it's uh she likes hard rock and and so it's interesting to see here so much so to where like you said michael andrews any other time she she would have been in heaven like she's getting like memorized in uh in there like you know and um I, I even had to be cautious of the volume level while I was watching it late at night because like that that scene is very loud <laughs> and I yeah. I kind of felt like sorry and uh, uh Bumblebee and Bulkhead a little bit like I almost felt the the same force of wind coming from my uh from my TV speakers there right right and well comedy aside though it is a really smart almost dialogueless way to show that sorry's changed this is a different sorry some deck than we saw in season one yeah. uh, I think that was used really effectively instead of just being like I'm different now guys like it's literally just sorry doesn't like rock music something's up and the the other thing also you had mentioned that sorry has changed and. By contrast, Bumblebee has not. Like he he's and I don't know what that says to the difference between Autobots and humans. You know, we've talked a lot about like the difference in lifespan and how like the the passage of time is. But like this is Bumblebee straight from season one as if nothing has happened as if nothing has changed he's like you know hey man you know it, isn't this great we get to party all the time it's like you know he's literally just uh the the living embodiment of that eddie murphy song you know Um, and, and yeah, just not having the, uh, empathy or emotional intelligence to realize that, that this is, this is different now. Like, even like when sorry is sitting in front of the TV and just having it blasting over her, you look over at both Bumblebee and Bulkhead and they're both smiling gleefully. Like, like they're just like, Oh man. Yeah. This, this is a, um, you know, they're friends here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, is it live or is it Memorex? (laughs) That kind of (laughs) thing. Right. So, yeah, as Sari is uh, kind of lamenting her new living situation, uh, Masterson's making himself right at home in her old living situation. Uh, Yeah, it's it's a nice dichotomy of scenes, but again, pretty tragic. Uh, We learn from this that Powell, though, was able to throw some money around, make the city forget all about, you know, Headmaster's pesky terrorism and extortion, uh, by the way, that Remember yes. when that whole thing happened? Actual terrorism, actual extortion. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I I don't understand this dynamic at all. It's like is is uh does Porter C Powell have Dr. Stephen Strange on on retainer or something cuz this this is some real uh Spider-Man No Way Home nonsense right here. I just I kind of push the bounds of believability a little bit but yeah i i just thought it's like how how can you make people forget and i guess the 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 grim reality the unpleasant reality is well you to pay off enough folks and um maybe that maybe that's how things actually work yeah and i also was thinking about this too like why headmaster 
And at first I kind of just said, well, maybe he's playing an opposites thing, right? Like, like maybe he, he's choosing people that are, uh, you know, enemies of some deck, right? Like people that want to get back at some deck, this would probably be a good employee to have if you were turning the company in that direction. But I can also see it too. It's a little bit of like, well, we need someone that was as good at reverse engineering as, uh, some deck was. And I guess headmaster must have some knowledge, uh, whether he knows it's like alien or not, he must have some knowledge of Cybertronian physiology because he is able to interact with it. So right. he must have a lot of data that uh, that is missing now because of some deck going missing. Well, I I think also, uh, I I think it's here in this sequence that you know uh, Porter C. Powell is is very interested specifically in uh, Masterson's military robots and and also headmaster units as well he calls those out by name but also like i i remember when we first met headmaster it's like well wait a sec he's also made like a line of military drones aside from the headmaster units so it, it's it, it's just kind of interesting that um it's it's almost like masterson does the headmaster thing as like a hobby and like the military like his his main thing is like military technology and he does the military technology to, you know, fund his hobby or, or, or vice versa. That kind of thing. Oh yeah. That makes sense. Uh, but either way, uh, from this interaction, he sets his sights on Sentinel. Uh, he sees the press conference. He likes what mm-hmm. he sees. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he's, he's had enough bulkhead. He wants Sentinel. Uh, so he, I think this is kind of funny because from what we saw him before and his master planning to like extort the city and take it over. Uh, now his plan is I'm going to call in a phony tip to fan zone <laughs> to, to just get him across town. Uh, this is a it's, but it's kind of ends up kind of being a good one, but he calls in a f- phony Decepticon tip. And this is the scene you were alluding to earlier, Mike, where he actually yeah. calls fan zone and he kind of does a voice, but kind of not. Hello, Captain Fanzone. I'd like to report a Decepticon sighting. Yes, it's down in old Detroit. Yeah, I, I was so scared. Please do something. Please. Right. Uh, but Fanzone, you know, says, thank you, ma'am. We're right on it. Kind of a thing. Uh, and it's that old gag. And then, uh, yeah, then it's off to the races. But first of all, Sentinel's like, okay, well, this is bogus because there are no Decepticons. He, so it actually is kind of a smart plan then because... If you're going to prey on Sentinel, the one thing he he seems to know for sure is that there's no Decepticon activity on Earth. Right. Yeah. I mean, he he is dead set for certain on this that, you know, that Optimus is making this up. His entire crew is complicit in this elaborate fiction. And again, you know, in, in addition to the bigotry, this speaks to Sentinel's narrow minded arrogance that like, you know, Sentinel has decided that because it's coming from Optimus, that he automatically is full of shit. And not only is he lying, but he's lying with the express purpose of like trying to like 
you know, reposition himself. Like, you know, I, I don't remember if it's if it's here or or in the other episodes, but like Sentinel said a few different times, like, well, yeah, you know, you're you're just doing this so that you can kind of get back in good graces with uh with Ultra Magnus and you know get back into the elite guard or whatever. You know, kind of like there there's there's easier ways other than just doing this um this elaborate fiction where you're talking about Decepticons. It's an interesting dynamic about how, um, what Sentinel's mentality is and how his mind works. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so it works. He and Sentinel take (laughs) off a, he and Optimus take off across town to investigate this. So on, you know, on quote unquote Decepticon sighting, uh, Sentinel blows through, all the stoplights, all the stop signs. This is where we get that really great, uh, you know, they should really stop putting these on every corner as he plucks the uh, crumpled stop sign from his shoulder. And then we get, you know, going back to the battle mask conjecture, one battle mask I really do love is Sentinels. And we get a cool shot of it, uh, a nice long shot of it in on his face. I love it. It is really cool. I, I like a, um battle mask that has a visor you know it's it's kind of like bumblebees in in a way and it has kind of like you know and and i don't know if i picked up on this earlier but obviously it's it's so much in this episode but the whole um night motif that that sentinel has because you know we see his we've seen his shield a bunch of times but now we uh later on we get to see like you know he has like an actual like laser lance and with the battle mask it has kind of like that that kind of uh sir lancelot uh king arthur knights of the round table kind of design vibe to it that i don't i don't know if i really picked up on until i saw all of the pieces together here yeah, it's super cool. I love I love everything about his look. And this is where uh in in this world where they do a legacy figure of Sentinel, uh I could maybe live with the battle mask. I don't know how you're going to get it around that massive chin that they're going to have to put on him, but uh <laughs> I do I wouldn't mind seeing it. I I wonder what the size of the chin would be because like, I mean, again, going back to our discussion of the legacy animated Optimus a bit, it's like, he just kind of has a normal face, like of his exaggerated proportions, his face isn't one of them. Now, granted animated Optimus doesn't really have an exaggerated face, but depending upon who's drawing him in which studio sometimes he has chin sometimes he has exaggerated proportions but like with something so consistently identifiable with sentinel um i do wonder what that would look like but i guess for me i would imagine that if you make it similar to bumblebee's head because like bumblebee like i mean again neither of us have the figure yet but like they do this thing where like his helmet and crest and chin strap for lack of a better term is his whole like neck piece is so large that his face kind of his little smirky face kind of sits inside it so if you do something like that with sentinel in like the voyager scale i think you'd be able to have like either a couple tabs or a couple peg holes where you could where you could put that battle mask in there because i i agree with you i think that 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 would be warranted in a way that it might not 
uh, necessarily be with Optimus. Um, before before we move on, there there were a couple things I wanted to a uh, couple dialogue uh, scenes I kind of wanted to. Um, touch on here um so obviously sentinel is a dick but like you know uh you had mentioned like all of the uh traffic entanglements and sentinels like oh because like optimus is telling him he's like well hey man you know we have like traffic laws and stuff he's like piff that's a for organics maybe but i'm in a hurry he uh he he specifically says like you know basically indicating that his attitude is that the rules don't apply to me and i think that that again speaks to his his arrogance and ultimately his hubris that we get to momentarily but i didn't want to skip over um these other uh this this last bit because he blows past fan zone and I think he kind of like sideswipes him a little bit too. But like you get, you get a really great. This is why I hate machines. But yeah. he he punctuates it with especially arrogant, full of themselves machines. So um, yeah, I, I I thought that was a great fan zone line. Yeah, it was a it was an interesting in the mind of fan zone a little bit because now at least we have him uh, differentiating between maybe like Optimus and the Autobots and like, oh, here's one of the bad ones, right? Like, here's an actual asshole. Right, right. Exactly. Uh, we also get in this scene, too, as they kind of, uh, you know, move into the investigation part of this uh, Decepticon sighting. Mm -hmm. uh, we get Sentinel's biggest contribution to the episode is when he calls Optimus maintenance prime. Uh, <laughs> That's a pretty good bit, but I think it reminded me a little bit of that meme of like the mop bucket, the mop bucket that looks like Optimus prime. Have you oh seen my that? God. <laughs> Uh, I was like, that's maintenance prime to me. Uh, that's what, that's what that should have been labeled as. I think it's called oh. Moptimus prime if you need to Google it, but, uh, maintenance prime, <laughs> what I'm going to start calling it from now on. Moptimus prime. That, that, that is so good. And, and it's funny because like, you know, Optimus here is like, again, kind of being, uh, you know, he knows the lay of the land and he's like, Hey man. We should scramble our comlink frequencies in case the Decepticons are listening in. And again, th there, there's no deferential, uh, no contrition for for Sentinel uh, whatsoever. And and again, he he believes that Decepticons aren't real and that Optimus is making it up. But what I what I really like is the the payoff of the maintenance prime thing, because this part where they go their separate ways. And like, yes. uh, so, so Optimus is, is kind of, uh, you know, uh, muttering to himself. He's like, maintenance prime. And I'll just call him pompous gas bag prime. Yeah. That's what I should have said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but then, but then on the other side, uh, you know, ah, Sent yeah. Sentinel's doing the same thing. He's like, maintenance prime. <laughs> I gotta save that one in the hard drive. That line rules. <laughs> it's like I gotta write that down. That's some yeah. good stuff. <laughs> I just, I, I love the uh, juxtaposition of them both ruminating on the on the maintenance prime thing. So that that means that's definitely a meme if they're if they're both uh, remembering it and uh, and and still thinking and considering on it. I think it was also a great thing because it also kind of shows that they were buddies at that one point. And it's sort of like we can kind of see what they have in common. 
mm-hmm. right? Like they're they're both kind of still, you know, if they can just get past this like weird hatred they have for each other, they, they're still pals at the end of the day or have the potential to be. So, and I think it's kind of beautiful. I think it's a little more, you know, it's a great gag, but it's also it's also a smart writing. Is it here where where Sentinel goes on his own investigation? Yeah, yeah. So they part ways. Uh, Sentinel gets scared by a cat, uh, which is nice. Oh, gets, that's right. You know, that's when he gets, uh, he, go, he goes, uh, I use this reference a lot, apparently, but the goes full Kylo Ren and just starts slashing at everything because uh, the cat scares him. And it and it's must be because his organic fear is coming back to haunt him. This is like, mm-hmm. now there's a furry one. Uh, but anyway, Headmaster makes his appearance and strikes. Uh, and I thought this was cool. I thought this was a really nice, like, like visual callback to how it happened in the first one too, where it's sort of like how uh, bulkhead got preyed upon. Um, and it was done in like a very smart way because then it cuts right to a call coming through to Optimus being like, uh, you know, tell fan zone. It was a prank. Uh, we don't have to work. <laughs> it, but also I need you to come pick me up, but also don't laugh when you get here. <laughs> like It's this great, it's a great bit. It really is. And you could tell that there's a, you know, there's a wobble, a a uncertainty in his voice. Like, you know, he's still being indignant to the, you know, the the organic fan zone. But uh, but yeah, there's something up. And before that I, I i would imagine it's it's where um you know we we cut to commercial when when headmaster strikes but like at a at a time where i have been so vocally opposed passionately opposed to headmaster's way of speaking you know the 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 gamer speak the meme speak you know uh you know total gameage and you know all all of that other stuff but I really genuinely appreciate this line here when when Headmaster actually descends upon uh, Sentinel because it's understated. The line delivery is, is delightfully understated. And he says total ownage never gets old. Yeah, it's almost spooky. It is. It is. And I really like that because it's kind of like a a subversion of what we've heard before, because everything he said, you know, anything in Sari's room, he's like, oh, yeah, your maximum gameage and all this other stuff. But this time there there is a a deathly seriousness. And it's like he's just saying it to himself, but he's just like, yeah, total ownage never gets old. And it's uh, it's it's really good. It's legit good. Yeah, definitely an effective uh, commercial cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Optimus heads, wink, to yeah. Sentinel's location. Stop it. <laughs> I had to, I had to. Uh, and yeah, and of course, even though he promised not to laugh, he busts a gut at Sentinel's disembodied head. Uh, so and, good. and this is where I was saying earlier, admittedly, it's a lot funnier now that it's not happening to Bulkhead. Like, uh, it is a good joke now. And and that's the difference. That's the difference because we like Bulkhead. And whereas this, it, you know, and, and it doesn't, when it happened to Bulkhead, it doesn't necessarily underscore the villainy of Headmaster in the way that I think it was intended to. Here, it's like, yeah, I mean, I mean, again, I just said it three other times, but it's like, yeah, literally total ownage never gets old because y- you, you delight that this has happened and you laugh as heartily as Optimus Prime laughs. And 
I don't know, man. Like at a time where we've seen a lot of different Optimus Primes, you know, some more stoic than others. Um, you know, it's like famously, it's like, hey, Optimus, you want to see something funny? No. Um, <laughs> right. This one lets out a chuckle that I don't think I have ever heard another Optimus laugh this hard. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> You promised you wouldn't laugh. Yeah, long drawn out. Like props to David K uh, for for delivering that laugh. It's it's good stuff. Uh, I, and then this show does something that I love that they don't. Uh, they they do like just enough to keep me interested, but they do like this nice like detective work, sort of mm-hmm. like uh, Batman style stuff, right? So Optimus kind of goes in. He questions Powell about Headmaster. Of course, Powell denies it, but then. You know, Optimus uses this little like go-go gadget ear oh, so uh, good. behind the scenes to listen in on Powell's phone call with Masterson. And that's how they figured out. I love that it wasn't just like, you know, open the door. Hey, there he is. Like they actually did this sort of, uh, you know, black ops gadget stuff. Yeah. And, and it's pretty great, too, because it, it, it's almost Columbo-esque as well. And it's like, you know, uh, Optimus yeah. goes into some deck tower and when when Porter C. Powell, who who again is is just doing this th- this weird foghorn leghorn uh, affect, he's like, "Now I say, I say, you you be on your way, Optimus Prime. <laughs> y- y'all ain't welcome here. <laughs> get, get." And and Optimus just leaves. He's just like, "All right, that's fine." And of course, you know, Sentinel's giving him the 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 business um, about that, and it's just yeah, just just watch and learn. Yeah, it's great. It's a great little bit. Uh, I, I just I get so psyched about Optimus in this season. Something that wasn't like, uh, you know, clicking with him and me in the first season. This season, you know, just a couple episodes in, getting very excited for this version of Optimus. So yeah, we we understand that. Uh, you know, now now we have confirmation that uh, Powell's and Masterson are in cahoots. Ops mm-hmm. uh, and Sentinel head back for Masterson's location, and then they have a run in. This is kind of sad too. Uh, zombie Tutorbot and Sparkplug that have been uh, replaced by their own. I don't know. They've integrated with the master headmaster technology somehow. So now we have like bad guy versions of them. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, spoilers for the end of the episode. I don't remember that being resolved. Like, I, I don't know if you see the heads yeah. come off or whatever. And and it's not and it's not even straight up headmaster unit like like we saw with bulkhead, like we see with Sentinel. Um, it's this weird integration. Yeah, I wrote down parasitic almost. It's like yeah. a, like a symbiont or something. Yeah. Very weird. It's not technology we've seen before. Like this is just an implic. We you know we have a visual cue of the color and the shape uh, that it's masters in technology. But but yeah, this is new, and it has left them uh, very powerful. Their defenses are quite high now. So it just turns into this laser light show. Uh, uh, hails a gunfire uh, down at the docks. This is where we get a, a great action shot, and then Optimus tries to make it to a ship leaving port, like like any good spy in a spy movie. Right. Well, because we learn that Sentinel's body is on board the ship and that the ship is leaving. So there's a little bit of a uh, ticking clock and it's this whole like, you know, oh, we're not going to make it. 
and it looks like they're not going to make it. But then my my dude with the axe, he pulls, call the axe. He, yeah. uh, uh, Optimus whips out the axe. You get a sweet uh, rocket boost. And then, of course, they make it. And, of course, Sentinel's like, ah, I knew we were going to make it. <laughs> right. What a right. dick. What a dick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great, great axe moment for you i'm so i'm so happy for you mike i'm so happy you got to eat good in this episode because what a great axe scene i i i will i will do a little bit of a confession here i may or may not have been playing with my uh optimus prime action figure while i was watching that episode and so that's part of the reason why i was so interested in the blast effect port on the back of the axe because it's like I didn't post any pictures of it, but I kind of kind of got him posed in the way that he's doing the rocket axe kind of thing. It's kind of cool. Yeah, um, it's it's fun to create those kind of moments from the screen. It reminds me of our our friend uh, uh, Springer Sword on Twitter. It's like I've been really kind of like vibing and like trying to like recreate like you know images from like you know cartoons or comics or or things like that. It's been it's been really fun. Yeah, well, I, I really liked it because like in show, it's just another use for it. Like we've seen it that, you know, it's sort of been only used as a weapon before, right? Like it, like it sort of, in, it makes his axe swing more powerful. This was sort of like a functional use of it too. Now we see that it like actually works like a, you know, like a rocket ship and, you know, it, it it's becomes like a spy gadget again, right? Like it shoots him right where he needs to be. It, it, the axe blade sticks into the ship. Like now he's using it in sort of, uh, you know, a functional way versus just as a weapon, blunt object. Absolutely. And, and it reminds me something I, I stuck my neck out on before when we're kind of contrasting different types of Optimus Primes. Like, I mean, obviously the Ion Blaster is G1 Optimus Prime's signature weapon. Um, you know, I don't necessarily care about the Energon Axe from that one episode, that one time that every figure is contractually obligated to come with. But the thing that I love about animated Optimus Prime's Axe is that it's a tool first and a weapon second. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this show's doing something really well in that they're sort of making characters out of these weapons. Uh, yeah. They're they're almost, you know, it's they sort of have that same quality like the Millennium Falcon has in Star Wars, where we want to see them, uh, you know, they're they're exciting when they come to play. Yeah. I mean, that that that's a really great point when you characterize you know, these uh, weapons like, you know, I mean, you know, Megatron's fusion cannon, you know, those kind of things, you know, there, there are certain types of things or like, you know, like a Jedi's lightsaber, Han Solo's blaster, you know, th there, there are certain things that just have character on their own. And I think that's what's really made me so endeared, not just to animated Optimus Prime, but, um, in spite of or despite of i don't know but like it, it's it's the axe it, it's his use of the axe um and it, and it didn't help that i kind of came onto tfa right about the time i was really digging on uh earthspark as well and you get some really cool effective axe play in that like that that's that's what makes that fight with uh, optimus and megatron against skywarp and nova storm so iconic is like Optimus uses the axe 
but never offensively. You know, he's using it to just like, you know, scoop somebody around the scruff of the neck and toss them rather than like chop them in half, that that kind of thing. And, it, and it's very similar to what we see here in TFA, where it's like, you know, again, I, I keep saying that, like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, he's kind of fire convoy. He He's he's kind of a fire truck and it and it's a fireman's axe and a fireman's axe can be used for a number of different um uh tool methods including uh you know sticking on the the edge of a uh barge after it's rocketed you across uh the water so right um but yeah right. it's, it's a tool it's a tool right so they they are on board the ship uh optimus slices his way into the interior he he faces off against masterson and the headmaster unit you can tell deep down he relishes this opportunity to duke it out with Sentinel. This is this is something he's always wanted to do, or at least since they parted ways. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and you get later in the in this fight when you know Sentinel is like, you know, he must have seen that that video from from tfu.info where it's you know the chili song he wants his body back his body back baby back ribs um but you know not all that dissimilar to the way bulkhead was but like you know his uh his vanity is showing also like hey man try to try to take it easy and you see a little bit of what we saw with bulkhead that that really honestly kind of annoyed me a little bit in in that episode as well is like where you see sentinel's head um responding to the actions of the body like it's you know it's it's rolling around it's bouncing around it's jumping it's jostling you know i mean it's yeah it's like a popcorn kernel popping Oh, there you go. Uh, there there was something. Go. Yeah, it was. It was sort of. You realize it's. This is. They're. They're making so much racket. There's something so visceral about of the fight going on that it's. It's bouncing his head unit around. I. I also like here where like the, the, there's a little bit of uh, dialogue between Optimus and and Headmaster uh, now in control of Sentinel's body, and the line uh, to Optimus is. Uh, oh, tough talk, fire truck. Well, guess what? You're gonna get slain. Which I I thought that was a that that was a really kind of a cool <laughs> fu line. Yeah, <laughs> tough talk, fire truck. And also a great title for like a, a children's easy reading book or something like that. <laughs> tough talk, Ooh, I like fire that. truck. I Good like night, that. man. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then of course, uh, this is in a lot of ways kind of an echo or a reprise of the same thing that happens with bulkhead, you know, but it's, it's a little different in that Optimus just straight up kicks Sentinel's head. Um, and <laughs> you get, get that line. You kicked me. On purpose. Right, Fucker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also like the, the bit of dialogue between uh, Optimus and headmaster where I, I think, is it something to the effect of like, he uses the word uh, leet to describe his fighting skill. Uh, headmaster says leet. And then Optimus says, yeah, well, I have no idea what that means. I think this is such a great line. And, and I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of team Optimus. I'm like, I don't know what that means either. I, I think that's a great new catchphrase for Optimus. I think that should be the freedom is the right of all sentient beings of Transformers animated Optimus. Uh, if there's a little, you know, a tech spec card, I want it to be, yeah, well, I have no idea what that means. 
Yeah, and, and so indignant about it. He's like, yeah, well, I don't know what that means. Thank you very right. much. Right. It's great delivery. <laughs> great delivery. It is. And, and, and I like that it represents that we get uh, some pushback on on Headmaster's uh, uh, manner of speaking and, and the way that he talks. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of says what we're all thinking, really. Uh, yeah. So the, the battle goes the way you'd think it does. Uh, Optimus wins. He makes the arrest. He gets his criminal after all the Columbo action going on. <laughs> and uh, Sentinel gets his body back. I don't know if I love that, but I guess that's where this episode had to go. But then the interesting part, like that could have just been the classic ending. You know, you get your perp. But we instead we see Powell show up in a limo and flexes his legal know-how and gets Masterson out of the cuffs. I thought this was cool because it kind of shows you a little more about Porter C. Powell and, yeah. and how he's just a quick, fast thinker. Uh, you know, he just spits off all this jargon and and reasoning to get him back out of cuffs. And it's like, man, this guy is kind of untouchable and very slick. Yeah, well, and, and it kind of... It reminds me of what what we talked about earlier. It's like, I I I guess I guess Porter C. Powell is yet again a stand-in for Donald Trump, in that like just the law doesn't apply to him, and it's like if you pay off enough people, that you know you can get your way, and and yeah, it, it's it kind of speaks to I wonder how high the the corruption goes for porter c powell like you know you know he he was voted unanimously to uh become the head of the board at some deck systems i'm sorry the failing some deck systems right. and and it makes me wonder how high this conspiracy goes like it are are the other board members in on this is there like a secret cabal is there like an illuminati type of thing is this the machinations of comrade kid it's like what what it, it just it feels to me that it's um so bizarre that powell can just get his way with 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 a a silver worm tongue and just be like because like he gets fans on with something about like international waters and it's like right i i mean again so we there's granted there could be things about the geography of the far-flung future of new detroit in 2157 you know maybe maybe there was a massive earthquake and the entire eastern seaboard dropped into the sea and maybe michigan is in addition to uh the great lakes it's also in front of the ocean and international waters is right out there but like and I guess it's kind of swept under the rug with this reference to the Mounties and Canada and things like that. But it's like, right. I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's, that's how that works. I've, I don't well, know right. how international waters works, but I don't think it works when you just go across Lake Erie like that. I don't think yeah. there are international waters in Lake Erie. No, there aren't. And actually uh, on TF wiki, that's kind of listed as one of like the flubs of this episode uh, was that there are no international waters where he was talking about. Um, and so I thought, so I thought of it the same way first. I'm like, Oh, they just must've got their geography wrong. But then I was like, you know, actually your analogy of Trump works really well because this could have just been written as a lie that is delivered in such a way that, you know, fan zones just like, Oh, fine. And takes the cuffs off. Right. Um, 
I, that, right. And that's the scary thing about someone that's really good at lying is that uh, eventually it just, uh, it works. It, it gets the job done. Yeah. Yeah. And Fanzone just goes for it. Um, I, I wouldn't like to think that Fanzone is complicit in this conspiracy, but that's not impossible. Could be, could be. Yeah, not not impossible. Um, so the other the other closure we get on this episode is uh, Bulkhead and B on the advice from Prowl is to uh, just let Sari have her moment. Uh, just you need just to be a friend. You just need to be there for her a little bit more uh, instead of trying all these, you know, making her room into a rock concert venue. Uh, maybe just let her cry if she needs to cry. And while they still don't seem to get it, they're still sort of like, Oh, that she's doing that human thing again. Her eyes are leaking. Uh, right. They at least let her just play it out. And Bumblebee has a really nice moment where he just says, we're here and you're safe. So whatever it is, you can always talk to us. We'll listen. So at a time where I was so critical of Bumblebee's lack of personal growth, he makes up for it here. Um, and, and he owns it on front street. He's like, yeah, I, I don't get it, but you're my friend and I'm here. And I, I think that's, that that's incredibly tender and it's, um, yeah. Wise words. It's a great moment. And, and this, this thing from Prowl, like, like Prowl has the line of the episode, because I mean, this is this guy's entire vibe and he's just sitting there with his arms folded. He's like, will you stop fucking this up? And it's like, well, well, what are we supposed to do? And it's like, how about you just do the thing that you are aggressively incapable of and just be silent? She will tell you what she needs if you simply listen. And that's um, that that is terrific advice. And I ironically enough, um, I, I think that is good advice in general when dealing with folks that that are going through some stuff sometimes the best thing to do is just um give them some space but also in tandem to that be there for them like um you know i you know i'm not not trying to like drag the the room down but it's like i i've i've been going through some stuff uh lately i uh um uh very suddenly lost a, a co-worker um, of mine and I've uh, I, I've been going through it and uh, my friends have been there for me in a big bad way and and so this this sequence really deeply resonated with me because it is a lot of like uh, smothering with support or like standing at a distance or just like but it's like what I found is like all of my friends have found a way to just be there for me in a way that I appreciate that's not in the bulkhead bumblebee vein but more in kind of like the prowl just like be silent but then as 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 B says it's like you know I I don't know what you're going through but I just want you to know that I'm here for you so like that that really um uh, tugged at my heartstrings in a big bad way and resonated with me in a way that it it uh might not have um, um a few short weeks ago. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that we all kind of are we all are Bumblebee in that scene in a way because I think that's one of the hardest things for a human to do is is you know 
you're, you're trying to solve everything, right? Especially when one of your friends is in trouble, you're having a problem. Like we just can't seem to shut it off and just be like, Hey, maybe they need to just get through this. Maybe they just need to grieve. Uh, we're always trying to doing something. And, and some of us never learn that lesson. Uh, mm-hmm. even, even situationally where we have before and it comes up again and we, we blow it, you know, we're trying to do too much for someone. Um, yeah, it's very, very real human scene from that, from that bot. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I do I do appreciate the way that this episode ends. It ends it ends on a really cool note, actually, because like, you know, it, uh, um, it it's the next day they're on the ship. Uh, Sentinel and Optimus are are talking to Ultra Magnus and Ultra Magnus even here says something about like I want to know Sentinel Prime what are these rumors about you losing your head but Optimus again good dude Optimus Prime like you know he's he's a good friend to folks who aren't even his friend anymore yeah and and it just kind of goes to show that and and maybe maybe that says something about the longevity of friendships also like like you know uh michael andrews you had said something earlier in the episode about like you know kind of like when when they're having like the maintenance spot moment uh to the to themselves as they're thinking on it that that it kind of harkens back to back when they were homies you know back when when uh you know they the two of them and alita would would roll as a deep crew and um this kind of harkens back to that in a way also because optimus doesn't have to do this he doesn't have to stick up for sentinel and i don't i'm not entirely sure of his motivations like if he he if he's just doing it out of um respect for the old friendship or if he's just doing it to be a stand-up guy to sentinel or if he's just trying to make things smooth with uh uh with dealing with ultra magnus but regardless prime really just kind of uh uh sticks his neck out and says man they we we work together and you know it's uh and and sentinel behaved uh becomingly of an officer which we all know isn't true i think right. i'm sure that even surprised sentinel but it right. kind of throws back to we so we we sort of breezed over it but there was a moment earlier where uh optimus sort of takes the dig at sentinel um i think it's when they he first came upon his head and he's like he got a cover for me and he's like like you covered for me all those years ago and oh, i love yeah. that scene because a great slap in the face but b it also calls back to the incident that that tore them apart which it's adding more to that to that legend of yeah as soon as they got back it, we didn't see it but as soon as they got back to base uh sentinel must have thrown him right under the bus yeah immediately it's like yeah and 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 as we'll 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 see as as the show continues that sentinel is all too eager to arrest folks and put folks into custody and to exert his authority over folks. So I, I have no doubt that as soon as they got back to Cybertron, it's like, you know, fresh from that ship before, like anybody else is like, Oh my God, what happened? Uh, I'm sure Sentinel was like, and he killed that girl, <laughs> you know, like, like yeah, immediately. Yeah, exactly. It's like, she's fucking dead and it's fucking his fault. And it's because of him, you know, right. just like, just, 
pointing indignantly. Lock him up. Right? Yeah, exactly. He's like, don't make me start the chant. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, so this this episode, uh, it, it's so weird to me. It's it's a weird one to me because there's a lot of humor in it. It's a very light episode comparatively um, for what's to come. But but it is kind of a bummer in a way. If you peel back some of that, a lot of bad things happen. And the ultimate mess of the show is message of this is that things are not going to be OK this season. It's right. a rocky start and we're not we're not getting better soon. Yeah. And, 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 and it's funny because like even with the closing image of uh, Sentinel and Optimus shaking hands and and having that that uncomfortable bro moment of like, you know, Sentinel is so reluctant and Optimus is relishing in it so much. He's like, wow, <laughs> that must have hurt. And Sentinel knowingly is like more than you will ever know. So there's still that mutual understanding there that they're they are they are not homies they are not friends but they there are flashes of them still being able to do the greater good yeah but like you said i mean like th this is i mean this is the empire strikes back you know it's like masterson is free presumably to continue building war robots and headmaster units and to experiment on uh, whatever other uh, tireless mechanical helpers he can get his hands on. Right. Um, you know, uh, Sari's situation has not changed. It's, right. I mean, you know, she, she's kind of at a understanding with her friends but nothing's been resolved. Nothing is better. It's like she she's still having to subsist on fish bones and live rabbits and uh, and oil barrels. Yeah. Um, so it's like, you know, she's not eating. She's you know, her education system sucks. It's 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 Bumblebee in a in a in a in a little uh, mortarboard hat and uh, and bulkhead <laughs> with it with his little glasses, which I, um, I I do like that sequence. But like. I mean, she's she's got it real bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all warm fuzzies aside, right? Let's look at how we ended this episode. The perp gets away and sorry, doesn't stop crying for the camera. You know, uh, correct. It, yeah, it, it, it ends on a, it ends on a dour note. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, Luke gets his hand cut off, hand gets frozen, get taken away by Boba Fett. It ends on such a down note. <laughs> right. all, all Jedi had was a bunch of Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. Well, Mike, I'm either eager to hear your uh, G1 score and all that jazz that we do. Uh, I do before we get off this episode. I do want to mention uh, the went into the foreign names for this episode in other countries, and I was kind of fascinated by this because uh, the Sp so the Spanish, Portuguese, and French. The thing that they have in common is that they all have a different word for headmaster or a translation for headmaster. It's not headmaster. Uh, so the Spanish translation is the return of superhead. Uh, <laughs> the Portuguese <laughs> translation, interestingly enough, is the return of the leader. I don't okay. know what they call him over there. And the French uh, title is the return of the Cerebro pilot. Okay. No, no headmasters out outside of the U S apparently. That's that's really very interesting. Yeah. 
so yeah, no, I, I so thank you for sharing that bit of uh, foreign uh, goodness, uh, that that foreign good texture uh, with us, because yeah, it's like headmaster is is a very specific proper noun, and to see how it gets uh, translated or not translated is uh, always uh, fascinating. So that uh, that is the episode, and I think now that we've gotten to the end of it, I I think it's kind of crystallized to me a little more why I enjoyed it. Um, which is kind of weird to say now that that we've uh, uh, properly legislated how dour it is. I think I think it's because of the tonal shifts. Like you have a character as absurd as Headmaster that you use as the catalyst for really dour storytelling. Because like let's say. Uh, I mean, the the whole scheme would completely change. But like, let's say if this was a meltdown episode, it would be it would be dour and grim. Like it, it right. would be like Zack Snyder's Transformers animated at that point, just needlessly <laughs> yeah. glum and very dour. So I think having that that lighter touch of the of Headmaster as the villain and intercutting between the the zany adventures of uh sorry adjusting to her new digs at autobot headquarters which is fun and how it presents that way um the tinge of sadness but not necessarily you know it's still played uh for laughs and then of course seeing a bit of comeuppance for uh sentinel i think that that's also kind of like a bit of a relief valve uh, for the audience as well, because we've spent two episodes with this dick and it's like, <laughs> I mean, like something needs to happen to this guy and we, and we see it. It's, it is kind of satisfying and like all of, all of that together kind of distracts from how dour and glum this, uh, this episode actually is when you take a step back from it top down. Absolutely. So with that, we uh, we get into uh, my G1 score. And um, this is probably going to be the shortest bit of legislation ever in the history of our show. You know, all, uh, all uh, uh, 17, 18 episodes of it. My G1 score is 0. 0.0. Oh, wow nothing huh nothing there is there is not a goddamn thing here because oh. like i mean headmaster is a a transformers animated character i mean sure he kind of calls back in name to a g1 concept in some countries sure and, and some <laughs> countries not so much um and all of the characters behave in as as their transformers animated counterparts the 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 dialogue the situations there isn't anything i could find g1 like i almost wanted to give it like a a 0.2 just so that it's not flat but when i watched it a second time I'm, i i was i was like there there isn't anything here that that you know no no visual cues no uh lines of dialogue i literally couldn't find anything to hang my uh g1 hat on Wow. Is this your is this your first 0. 0.0? I yes. think you've always had a score before. Hmm. Absolutely. And because I've always been able to find something and sometimes it's been a bit of a stretch. Like, 
like I think we even discussed this a lot in the headmaster episode. It's like, well, you know, it's a riff on the headmaster concept from G1. So that gets it at least a point that, and I think that episode had other things uh, for us to, uh, I don't remember my G1 score for that episode, but it was, it it was, it was low, but it certainly wasn't zero. This is my flat 0.0. Interesting. Hmm. There it is. There you have it, folks. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so, and ironically enough, how uh, tonally consistent is it with the way that that episode ends, too? It's like, it's like, yeah, so we we end in a, uh, on a bit of a down note and with with a 0.0 uh, G1 score as well, just to, just to add that to it as well. Very interesting. Um, so with that, we move into the, uh, uh, the mailbag. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. The mail's here. Here's the mail that never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Mail! Uh, we're, we're going to pop Ooh. open the mailbag and do a little bit of uh, listener feedback before uh, we get out of here, though. It reminds me, though, that um, I, I forgot to make this announcement up top, but I just uh, wanted to mention, uh, make an announcement that I will be attending TFCon LA in March, uh, March 8th through the 10th, down at the Los Angeles Marriott Burbank Hotel Hotel and Convention Center uh, for TFCon LA. I'm going to get my Transformers the movie poster uh, autographed by mr frank welker i've already purchased my autograph ticket for that so i'm super excited how awesome i i know um a handful of our friends or folks that have found our show um will be down there so if you if you see me um you know uh just roll up to me and say hi don't uh please please don't be a fan that's like intimidators like oh i think that's mike cyber mike cybert of the two mikes two furious podcast oh i can't go talk to him because i run into that sometimes i was like i'm like that's aaron archer just sitting there um uh you know just enjoying a beverage by himself maybe i should go say hi no i i will do the convention thing and talk to him at his table like a normal person um (laughs) it, it, it it reminds me though and i oh shoot i didn't tell this story when we were talking about tfcon orlando a while ago but like um, one of my favorite moments from TFCon Orlando uh, back in October is uh, Mr. Victor Caroli, the narrator. You know, it is the year 2005. You know, we now return to the Transformers. You know, that that guy. Um, he lives in Florida, so he went to that convention. And, you know, I got some stuff autographed by him, got to meet him and his lovely wife. Uh, lovely person. But... Um, this legislation unlocked my last interaction with him and it was it was literally a michael kane in the dark knight situation type of thing because convention's over i'm hanging out with uh optimal omega and j soups from apdc we're having like you know uh you know frozen slushy drinks and i look over across the bar because it's like in a little tiki hut type of thing i look across the bar in comes uh, Victor Caroli and his wife, and I look over and I just kind of pull up my glass and I just kind of like do the toast thing and I go back to drinking. 
didn't say anything awesome. to him, didn't roll up to him, just just you know, just a little bit of eye contact acknowledging and like that moment almost meant more to me than like having him autograph my my Transformers the movie poster. But he was delightful with fans. He he was really great, but like that that's a I, I looked over at my friends. I was just like, that just happened. I was like, that, it was it, it was really cool. It was it was it was a neat thing. So, I had this fantasy that I would look across the tables and I'd see you there. You wouldn't say anything to me, nor me to you, but we both know that you'd made it, that you were happy. But to be clear, don't do that to Mike Seibert at TFCon. If you see him, come say hello. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Because I know uh, uh, Laura the Torbs is going to be there. And uh, um, I think a few of our other friends, uh, uh, Lita lives down that way. So I'm, I'm sure she's going to turn up. Um, but yeah, man, if, uh, if if you see me, I will be spending my non-convention times at the the, the beachy pool bar that, uh, that, that we enjoy so much. Um, I have made a promise to myself that I will make it out to Scum and Villainy this time because I have not like the last two. Two times I've gone and it makes me annoyed. Oh, rocks. I know. And I was so <laughs> jealous of Michael Andrews. He's like, I went twice. And I'm like, twice? <laughs> Ooh. It rocks. <laughs> Ooh, order order so an outlander mad. for me. Uh that's the drink. Ah, there that's you go. The cocktail of choice there. Gotcha. So anyway, so I just wanted to throw that um, announcement up front there. Let's uh, let's get into the mailbag. And I want to start with a audio daily double. This is a uh, we actually got a voicemail uh, from my friend Whirl, who you might know as uh, one of the other uh, organizers of the Sidefest Northwest convention that we're on that organization team together. Our little uh, Transformers convention up in in uh seattle the the seattle area here but um i i realized when when you put out two different episodes it's easy to forget how the uh how the conversations go and how like time shifted conversations can be sometimes uh but basically they had a um some insight they wanted to share about our commentary about the definition of a kid's show and how, how we refer to it. I don't know why I'm, I'm transcribing the entire voicemail when I should be playing it, but uh, here we go. Here is a uh, uh, urgent message uh, from, from our friend Whirl. Here we go. Okay. I'm, I'm driving, but I'm going to forget. I just listened to zero Mike 30. And I think like saying this is a kid's show, it's not dismissive. It's just an important perspective to have while watching Transformers Animated because it's got so many themes of like coming of age and found family and just being isolated as a weird kid that like it that those themes are going to click with kids so much more because it's a kid's show and it's like I don't feel like it's dismissive when you guys say that I feel like it's just an important perspective to have this is it I feel like this is sounding like mean and confrontational I'm just excited about kids media <laughs> anyways bye <laughs> uh, oh, that's so, awesome. yeah yeah no that's awesome and and so basically that's following up on uh me super not being into the sorry sumdac uh baby ceo you know disney channel uh cartoon network type of vibe and the thing that as 
you're listening to this podcast now, you know that that my perspective kind of softened and changed as the episode went. And I kind of came back around to it by the end of the episode. Um, I, I still kind of still had some issues, but I think like the the crux of my my problem was literally just the line where she's like, sigh, hold my calls. I, I need a break. You know, it felt like that was specifically written to be cutesy and for like the uh, viewer POV character to come across as as more grown up, uh, that kind of thing. Um, but I didn't realize that until after I had uh, recorded the episode listened to the episode, edited the episode, and published the episode and listened back to it, that that really crystallized right. that I think it was just that one d- line of dialogue that was really irksome to me. But uh, Whirl makes some really good points, and um, they do a lot of work with kids, and so I, I, I can appreciate their passion for having the perspective of having good kids programming like they said in the in the voicemail you know with uh um, reading some of their tweets now with children's media we often see themes of coming of age found family responsibility sorry and b are the two main viewer proxies in tfa so they're the ones the kids are projecting onto sorry taking her father's place and being forced into a position where it lands on her shoulders to protect this legacy is a massive heavy burden and to the target audience they're seeing a lot of things that we as adults don't consciously pick up on so that was that those those were some thematic elements that i think kind of eluded me when in in the in the heat of our uh first conversation and especially as we presented it as kind of like uh in in that cliffhanger for episode zero yeah and i also when those when those tweets came through i (laughs) Uh, I pulled a sentinel and raced right there to throw my friend Mike Seibert under the bus and say, <laughs> I didn't think that way. I didn't, I, I didn't find it jarring at all world. Um, but, but no, it, it was really interesting. And, it, and also, you know, you're, you're, you're coming around to it got chopped off because the, you know, peeling back the curtain, we split that episode into two. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I just thought it was very interesting. It's a very interesting take. And I also got me thinking about the lens of Sari being a person of color and and having the, uh, you know, the burden of taking on family affairs. It really, you know, maybe maybe you don't have to step into the role of CEO at eight years old in the real world. But there is sort of a metaphor there of of carrying the family cultural baggage uh, with you and and the choice of going out and doing the things you want to do versus um, doing what's right by your family. I think that comes up a lot. Uh, and maybe, maybe that kind of went over our heads as a, as a couple of whites, as it were. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I, I don't know if I even clicked into that, even until you just said that right now, I, I think, uh, I, I think that's a, a brilliant observation. Um, we, uh, sifting around in the mailbag. I have, uh, speaking of the zero Mike 30 episode, uh, we have a comment from a longtime friend and fan of the show, Matthew Barbario. Uh, he writes, welcome back. Mike's exclamation point. I'm excited to have two M two F back to grace our ears again. Sounds like you both had great times during the hiatus. That Boba Fett sounds pretty awesome. So does the TFA star scream. It was nice to reminisce about the birthday live stream. Also, 
much to Michael Andrews' dismay. <laughs> um, uh, that was a fun night, especially getting to choose the flavors of alcohol Michael Andrews would drink next. I don't remember that. <laughs> oh my gosh. A uh, little, uh, little bonus for the chat, the uh, YouTube the, chat. <laughs> the viewers contributed to the buzz, in quotes, that helped get through the color legislation. LOL. Yes. 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 I, lo- I love my new car. Um, <laughs> As for the start of the TFA discussion, you could say the Autobots performing repairs and trying to mend relationships with the humans is them rebuilding bridges in more ways than one. And I, too, found sorry running Sumdac systems, please, failing Sumdac systems, um, a bit far-fetched, but I can understand her just kind of jumping in mere hours after he goes missing to do so. And it is a very sorry thing to do anyway. She does think like Isaac, so it is only natural for her to want to do that. And I think those are excellent points. Yeah, very true. Very good points. Yeah, it is. It is sorry being sorry, and she is very much her uh, her father's daughter. So I could see that, and I and and I think again to to continue to take my licks and walk back my perspective earlier. Um, I I had a loose handle on the timeline. Like I don't think it quite clicked with me that this was like in the immediate aftermath. So I think. Having legislated all of that so thoroughly, I, I think I, sure. I think I have a better appreciation of um, sure. of, if, of that. If this oh. was like a fiscal quarter later, it would be a little more absurd. Yeah, uh, and you know, I just um, I, I I was uh, skimming through my notes as we were were wrapping up here. I I forgot one random uh, factoid. I forgot to call out earlier. No Decepticons in this episode. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. is maybe what, like, the maybe only, like, second episode to not uh, feature uh, Decepticons. Very, uh... Yeah, um, and actually that was really smart because we'll see, you know, spoiler alert, uh, in the next episode, you know, it, it feeds more into that, well, there are no Decepticons guy uh, sort of mentality that Sentinel has because, yeah, we just went a whole, a whole session without uh, there actually being one. And, and, in fact, the only Decepticon reference was a prank call. Right. Oh, right. Right. Good point. Good point. DJ's why I hate my jeans. Um, so it is the, you, the top- you, real quick. Do you think fan zones uh, outgoing voicemail is like, this is why I hate answering machines. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I hate fax machines. Yeah, all right. <laughs> oh, man. Here we go. He goes to the bank. This is why I hate ATM machines. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know it's redundant, but I, I can't say I- automatic teller machines. <laughs> this is why I hate acronyms. <laughs> And also machines. And everything. <laughs> yeah, and everything. Literally everything. <laughs> and it's always to nobody, right? Like, I don't think in the history of the show anyone's heard his catchphrase. He's always muttering it to himself. No, it's just to us. He just yeah. says it to us. Crazy. Crazy. I love it. Oh, man. Well, um, we're uh, we're running a little bit long in this episode, so I'm going to cinch up the mailbag for now. But uh, stay tuned in our next episode. We will dip back into the mailbag and uh, and we'll uh, we'll talk about that and more. But that that will that will do it for the uh, listener feedback portion, which means there's only one last little bit of business to do before we get out of here. I'm going to run across the room and I've got to turn down the lights 
Because it's, it's, it's time. It's time. Beep those bongos, folks. Here we go. The preview haiku. All right. Friendships prove short-lived. On the eve of a space flight, screams come from the stars. What are jazz hands? Jazz hands. Yeah. Yeah. No jazz in this episode, so no, no. jazz hands. Maybe in the next episode. Who could know? <laughs> Maybe we'll get some jazz hands in the in the next episode. Some jazz chucks. That's the new thing. Jazz chucks. Oh, jazz. <laughs> it's just twirling them like glow sticks. I love it. I love it. All right, buddy. Well, I think uh, I, I think we did it. And uh, and don't forget to uh, make good pizza choices. Beautiful. Yes. Condense it up. Love yeah. it. Just, Thanks, yes. Mikey. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. Want to be a guest on the show? Send us an email to mikes2furious at gmail.com. Interact with us on social media. You can follow 2 Mikes 2 Furious on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at 2 Mikes 2 Furious. Tough talk, um, tough talk fire truck.